The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 150. At the end of the episode, I will read from Tyranitida at Grandma's house. Uh, I think we're on chapter 5 or 6. I'm not sure if I'm reading a death scene or not. We shall find out when we get to it. Uh, in the meantime, I have some reader questions to answer. Thank you guys for sending those in. And we get to talk about Death Fest some more. Because that's been awesome. Um, it's my first... Well, getting back into being creative. It felt like it was so long that I was really able to be creative. Like I played around with some short story ideas. I was never developed into anything i just haven't i didn't feel like i was able to access my creative side i was just had too much other shit going on um but with trying to dive back at graham's house i started working on that that kind of uh, made me feel a lot better i was like okay i'm starting to be able to see better use my imagination more that felt good anthony's working on it now he really likes all my ideas uh, he's gonna make it even better so that's cool but jumping back into death fest has been fun it's been so long since we had really looked at the book, worked on it. Um, Glenn just made some more passes. And so I was able to go over his stuff. Uh, we had a good talk last week over what we were trying to accomplish, what we really wanted to do, how we want the reader to like experience this whole metal concert uh, and why it gets crazy, when it gets crazy, all that kind of stuff. And so I spent the week kind of reimagining it. And Glenn and I talked yesterday and he was cool with all the changes or majority of them. And, but the, I also, that, and that's always a weird conversation too, when you're working with someone else, it's like, okay, how much of it is, you know, do I want to tear apart any of their ideas or how does it work? How, you know, who, whose, whose suggestion is right. And that's what I sound like, man, they're like, these are just suggestions. These are just ideas. I want you to come up with your own. I'm not saying yours is wrong. And the majority of the stuff was actually me taking his first ideas that I had probably canceled or vetoed the first time around and like, oh, that is a great idea going, let's put that idea over here. Okay, let's do that death scene right here. Oh, let's add this. Um, so that's a really cool thing to be able to do. So Glenn and I had a cool talk yesterday. I appreciate being able to be let into his world and mess around with it and make it, you know, we're just going to make it even cooler. And then he's going to do the same thing with my version right now. That's what he's going to be working on uh, after he finishes up. So that was all awesome. Uh, what was super cool was, I think it was Tuesday. I don't know why, or maybe on Monday, um, I text my buddy McCore and uh, he was on episode 82 back in October, October of 2020. I think I did like 30 days of metal where every day I was doing a little video on heavy metal. All my guests that month were about heavy metal. McCore's a friend that I had met through my daughter, but it was through metal. I, I knew that he was into metal. I could tell by seeing him. Uh, you could just tell all tatted, uh, seemed like a cool dude. And I was like, you know what? People that like metal, they're probably going to like my books if, if they like to read. Like, maybe not. But I think there's a definitely a connection there. Um, and so I gave him one of my books and we just hit it off. We've been friends since. But McCord's really good friends with Jose Mangan. They lift weights together all the time. McCord makes me so fucking jealous. I, I'm, I'm such like a little fanboy when it comes to metal. And that's one thing I just have to laugh about it. Because I'm not like that with any other celebrities or whatever else. But when it comes to metal, like... I have my heroes and 
So I think it's cool as hell. Like he's sending me pic McCarthy sending me pictures with uh, Jose Mangan and you know guys from Fear Factory and he's in the limo with Jose and he's you know doing this or he's at this concert. I'm like you motherfucker. Uh, but that's awesome. I'm happy for you, McCor. I'm gonna live through you. Anyhow, so I sent McCor a message saying, "Hey man, do you uh, please ask Jose if he'd want to be in my book, our book, Glenn and I's book, uh, Try Not to Die at." death fest i was like because that'd be fucking pretty cool to write him in and uh mccord called back an hour later i guess they're going to be lifting and he put jose on the phone jose was cool as shit just an awesome dude and that's what you can tell from listening to him if you haven't listened to him he's on serious xm uh liquid metal octane um yeah very incredibly well known throughout the metal universe uh just awesome dude uh really love how he also is a metal dad and he appreciates that like bringing it into your family like metal is not a bad thing um one of the things i have to be careful with with this book is to show you know a ton of bad shit happens at death fest um you know kind of says it with a name but i'm not you know i also want to show like the good stuff that happens with metal but i had a, a brief talk with jose uh he was down for the book i asked him if he if i could kill him or you know if it's okay with him getting killed and he was cool with both or either uh so right now so the last couple of days, that was one of the things I did too. So I was super pumped after hearing that. I appreciate that, Jose. Super cool. Thanks, McCor, uh, for setting that up. Uh, and McCor is going to be in there too. I don't know if McCor will be named, but he'll be the, the buff dude with the gray beard. Uh, I'll make sure he knows it's him. Um, so I think McCor might kill our main character by accident. I'm not sure. I know. And then Jose's scene, I pretty much got his two scenes figured out. I'm not sure if he's going to kill someone or how he's going to die, or, but that's super cool that he's down to be in the story. I think that adds a layer of coolness. As an author, I was like, mm, does it make it weird having a, you know, real life person in there? Uh, but for me, I was like, that's awesome. That's fucking bitching. Uh, Glenn thought it was too. So I'm super excited. That is like hundred percent. That's all I'm working on now that Glenn and I had this awesome talk yesterday saying, yeah, let's do this, this, and this. Um, you know, now I know what I'm working on today, tomorrow, next day, we're meeting on Thursday, we're going over all the new stuff, we're going to knock out this book. Uh, and so it feels good, feels awesome to be able to do it like that. So I think it's going to be fucking awesome. So if you like heavy metal, I think you're going to dig this book. Uh, obviously, metal is a huge thing, big part of my life. Uh, so I'm excited to write this one. Speaking of metal, my daughter's 14th birthday is coming up. And so is the Ice Nine Kills concert at the Palladium. Uh, she's super pumped about it. I, I'm i not sure if I'm going. I'm pretty sure I am, but I know her mom is and maybe a friend. Uh, I think I I feel safe sending them, especially to that concert. Shouldn't be crazy. But I was telling them, I was like, oh, I was like, that's where Uncle Mike and I went for uh, the Slayer concert when there was the riot outside. And so telling the kids about that story. And I was like, oh, and your mom and I saw that guy at the Machine Head concert uh, snap his leg in half and he didn't know because he was so drunk. And uh, so we had some cool stories about, about the Palladium. Uh, saw a lot of awesome shows there. So that would be cool for her to go. Um, she's already, she's still mad at me because uh, when I took her to see Iron Maiden for her first concert, Ghost was also playing and we missed Ghost's set because we were looking at t-shirts or whatever. So she's still pissed at me for that. I blamed it on my brother. I said it was probably his fault because uh, he probably wanted a shirt. So sorry, Mike, but Liv's pissed at you. Anyhow, I think that's going to be awesome. I think it's cool to be able to have those experiences because again, 
there's nothing wrong with metal. Uh, oh shit, almost forgot. Free books. What is free? Oh, uh, we have. Bum, 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 bum. Try not to die in the wizard's tower. Get it free on Kindle. I think it is free for another two days. So the 27th. Um, and if you read it, please leave a review or a rating. Ratings are super easy to leave. Like, just click a star. Please click more than one star. But have it be honest, whatever. If you don't really like it, I'd say that's a three. Or two if you really, really don't like it. Three if you liked it, okay. Four if you're like, oh, this was pretty cool. I was like, oh, that dude's awesome. Fucking plus, you know, he's asking me nicely. So, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, but no obligation, of course. And uh, what else? And then after that, the next free book, I think there's a week off. So the next free book isn't until Twisted Reunion. That's March 2nd. So that's not that far away. You can wait for the free book um, or buy it now and make me tons and tons of money. Whatever. Whatever makes you feel good. I'm not, uh, I'm not judging. I'm just appreciating you for even being here. That's fucking awesome. Honestly, uh, and that's one of the cool things about Jose Mangan. He makes people feel appreciated. His listeners all the time, even with me on the phone, like he made me just feel special. So he does that to everyone. He's incredibly grateful for where he is. I feel the same way, uh, obviously on a much lower scale. But honestly, I, I, I'm incredibly grateful for anyone that listens to this. Anyone that wants to hear what I have to say, that's awesome. That's cool. I appreciate it. Anyone that's sending me, like newsletter subscribers, if you want to read my emails, that's cool. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Um, and then the people that are writing back to me, I do really appreciate that too. Uh, Pamela and she has been leaving so many awesome reviews, but also got to know her a little bit through emails. And it's like, what an awesome person, you know, uh, uh, recently this lady Kelly, she wrote a couple of emails and they were funny emails. I really appreciate it. Like made my day better. So I was like, I like having those interactions. It's cool. I'm incredibly grateful for it. So thank you to anyone that is uh, interacting with me like that and making this all possible. Cause you know, in like lots of my, the dark and disturbing fear filled fiction group, that's probably, you know, the, some of the biggest reasons why I've continued to go on. Cause there've been so many times where I've been like, fuck this, like writing is not that I would stop writing, but that I would stop trying to market myself, that I would stop putting stuff out that, you know, because what's the point? Uh, it's very easy to get discouraged, whether it's life getting in the way or whatever it is. But um, having these people that believe in me, that leave incredible reviews, that you know are always supportive and sharing stuff, that is so helpful. So thank you guys. I do appreciate it. I owe you guys a lot of thanks. Um, there is a contest going on. I think there are a couple more days. I think that one goes, I think it's four days left. That is a dark and disturbing giveaway. Grand prize on that one. It's only $50 prize, but it looks cool. It's a Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Then you could also win copies of 25 Perfect Days, Twisted Reunion, Untold Mayhem. If you're in the U.S. and you win, you get signed copies. If you're outside the U.S., sorry. And then anyone can win the Dark and Disturbing Collection. That's the those three books, but in ebook format. So good luck to you. Uh, if you have entered that, but yeah, there's been a lot of people entering it. This time I had one of the ways to enter is to follow me on BookBub. Um, if you would like to support me, if you think, uh, I was like, oh, that dude's all right. Um, yeah, follow me on BookBub. That would be a huge help. Um, after a certain amount, and I don't know why it would be a big help. Just do it. 
whatever it was like it looked good he read an article he read the headline of an article that said he needed followers on book club so i'm just gonna do it that'd be fucking awesome all right let's get to these reader questions because i still have to read and i'm all cotton mouth god damn it shouldn't have smoked anyhow all live all right first question and paul is a returning reader with a question um his question so this is from paul young for the Try Not to Die series, which he said was excellent. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. How long did we spend researching each book? Um, I don't know. Let's see. Try Not to Die at Grandma's House. There wasn't a whole lot of research probably done because it was all make-believe. So, I don't know. I think that one was probably pretty quick. There wasn't much that went into that. Um, but, like, on, I was just doing research for trying to die back at Grandma's house, and I was thinking about, uh, like, what kind of attacks can happen in that area. Also, with, like, trying to die um, back in the Old West. Doing research, like, okay, what, how could you die in the Old West? So, doing lots of research like that, seeing cool ways to die um, with the Old West. Also, saying, like, okay, what kinds of, t- uh, you know, what would be in a town? What kind of buildings? And so, that would give us ideas for stuff that we didn't think about. Um, there's a lot of that goes that goes into it, but yeah, with back at grandma's house, like, okay, what kind of animals, uh, you know, dangerous animals live in West Virginia? It's like, okay, there's this kind of spider, so there could be that kind of bite scene. Um, you know, there's oh, it's either going to be a bear or a wolf. It's like, oh, well, in the last books, they got mauled by a bobcat, so let's switch that shit up. So uh, there's that kind of research. Uh, trying to die in a pandemic. I didn't have to do much because John did most of, he did all that work. He created the story. Um, as long as, I think when I went through it, I was just trying to make sure like I could follow his path and I like to draw stuff out. I was like, okay, yeah, the boat seems to make sense. That all seems legitimate, but he had already done all that work. So I didn't have to do that research. Um, when I'm researching my own stuff, uh, yeah, there's probably, probably a good amount of research that goes into it. Um, but it, it all depends. Um, but yeah, I want my, cause that's one of the things I like, I want my stuff to be believable. Uh, that was one of the things Glenn and I were talking about our first death scene. We had two death scenes that were too similar. They were both gunshots and they're very close together. And then in my head, the first one was a little bit unrealistic. Like, uh, I don't know. That's a stretch. You know, it's like, that's very unlikely that it could have happened. Very like if there's too many coincidences. So I just didn't want that for the first death scene. I was like, I want that to be strong. So, um, but it's like, okay, well, I don't know. Hopefully I answered your question, but yeah. So there's a decent amount of research either by myself or my partner uh, at the in the Wizard's Tower. I didn't do any research because Sage, he's been a dungeon master for like 30 years. I knew he knew his stuff. He did the story. He did all that. Um, so yeah, so that was all on him. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, sometimes I don't have to do any. Sometimes I do a decent amount. With Trash Die and Brightside, I had to really study Brightside, the novel Brightside. I don't know if Beyond was already written yet. I can't remember. But I had to make sure everything stayed consistent. So I redrew uh, the town. And and that also, seeing that really helped me figure out like, oh, shit, she could go there. Oh, I could put a building here. And I could make, you know, right next to the vet that I hadn't thought about before. And I could do this, you know. And so being able to, yeah, go back through, make sure, you know, what characters are wearing, where they are that time of day. Um, that was the type of research for that. And with injuries, like in Beyond Brightside, uh, 
I wanted to make that realistic. And with weapon questions, I would ask my friend, uh, Doc Simpson, Mike Simpson. He's awesome. Uh, he would tell me, he helped me come up with the compound that they were injected into themselves so they could go like a little bit more berserk and work through the pain. Um, but I would ask him weapon questions and stuff like that. So that is that. Uh, now, Emily Haynes, she's had some questions before. Um, first one's funny. Any characters based on real people? Well, we're going to have Jose Mangan in there and McCor. So they are real. But for the most part in fiction, no, I try to um, try not to do that. But, I mean, you're basing your... I think everyone makes their characters based off of all the people that they know, they've seen, even if it's just someone on TV. Um, but like my daughter, she was laughing when she was listening to Stuffed. Uh, well, she was laughing while she heard them talking about the kid with the headphones on, always playing his game. She was like, oh, I wonder where you got the inspiration for that because it was obvious that it was my son, you know, him always playing it and the shit that he says and whatever else. Um, you know, because that's a universal thing. But then she didn't care for it so much when the daughter came walking down the stairs and she's wearing all black and she's carrying a book, which is my daughter also. So sometimes, you know, and some like that one I did on purpose. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there's a little someone uh, who was it? Uh, Carrie. She just and she's awesome too. Thank you, Carrie. She's been reading uh, lots of the books. She just read Try Not to Die left a cool message yesterday saying, asking me whether or not um, I was Becky, because I mentioned about being in the sauna or, or and also yoga and jiu-jitsu. And she just thought that was, you know, so many similarities with the, the character Becky from Try Not to Die uh, at, in Brightside. So um, not sure what her comment was, but it was something like that. So I thought that was cool that she got to see that. Um, yeah, so sometimes they're based on real people, but generally it's never anything as on the head or right on, like with this adding Jose Mangan into it. But um, yeah, it could be that extreme. Um, and then she also put, do you think you could escape the situations you put your characters in? Um, I think that's one of the... I think that's one of the reasons I write it. I, I often have those kinds of questions like, okay, if I had to could I saw off my hand? You know, could I saw off this finger? Could I do this? Would I be able to handle that? How would I handle this death? Like if I knew death was imminent, how would I handle it? Like the story Shades of Death, where like you just know you're gonna die. Like how would, I think I think so So much of it for me is putting myself into that situation um, and be like, okay, could I do this? Could I get out? Is it even possible? Uh, am I mentally strong enough? You know, and, and lots of times it's like, oh, no, obviously not. Like, no, there's no way out of this. Um, I would break way earlier, you know, most of my characters are probably way, way stronger than I would ever be. Um, so, uh, but again, trying to make it realistic, like, okay. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's probably one of the biggest things I strive for. Like, uh, the story has to be believable. The second that is not, and the person reading is like, eh, like you completely lost them. I don't want that to happen. So if I do that to you, I apologize. Hopefully it's not happening in China's at grandma's house. Shall we find out? Yeah, let's do it. So at the end of the last one, we saw the little boy. Uh, he says something about our brother, took off running. Uh, we're at the fence. We're supposed to go back. So right now it says, uh, if grandpa has to come looking for us, 
I don't want to know what he'll do. So do we head back to the house, find a way to look over the fence, follow the boy? I say we follow the boy. The dirty little boy knew Tim, and I just can't let him run off without some answers. Sam and I take off. We stay by the fence until it ends. Then there's nothing but woods. I'm looking at the ground trying to see if the kid left any tracks, but even if I saw an actual footprint, I doubt I'd be able to hunt him down. I just keep I just keep heading in the direction he was moving. Thick clouds drift over the sun, and it's even darker than before. We have to circle around a fallen tree, which makes it impossible to know what direction we're heading or where we started. I can't see the fence. My watch says we're going to be late. This was stupid. We should go back, I say. No, we can find him. We don't even know where we're going. I look through the trees. Now, I think the house is... Okay, the fence was back that way, right? I don't know. Sam keeps walking. She pulls a granola bar out of her pocket. She, chomp, she chomps down as she plods through the forest. Flecks of granola fall from her mouth, and a few bugs skitter out from under the leaves to devour the crumbs. It's like they've been watching and waiting for this to happen. Suddenly, I feel all eyes around us. Sam bends down and examines a tree. She takes another bite, runs her fingers over the bark, studies it. Come on, I think you went this way, I say. I don't actually think this. I just want to keep moving. But Sam spots a huge rock and climbs up. She stares off into the distance and keeps eating. What are you doing? Do you think Tim stood here? I don't know. Now get down. We're already late. Something tells me he stood here once. Sam, please, just... A growl rips through the trees. Sam turns. She's facing me and shaking. Her eyes are aimed over my shoulder. She drops her granola wrapper. It floats down off the rock, and the next growl makes me want to piss my pants. I don't want to turn, but I have to. Whatever it is snarls behind me. I angle a few inches before the mountain lion pounces, its fangs dripping saliva, claws spread out. I barely get my arm up before it bites through my wrist. Sam's screaming. I'm on my back. I try to roll out from under the mountain lion, but it sinks its teeth into my shoulder and neck. Then it chomps through the muscle, and it sounds like when mom used to shred pieces of steak for fajitas. My eyes are open, but everything is fuzzy and out of focus. I try to tell Sam to run, but the sounds gurgle in what's left of my throat. I just hope I fill the lion enough for Sam to escape. Try again. God damn it. Knew I shouldn't have followed the boy. Uh, all right. Head back to the house or find a way to look over the fence. All right. I think we're going to go with the right one. Get the one in the destiny. Hopefully, I will check. Oh, shit. It's long. All right. Story time, boys and girls. <clears throat> we'll come back later, I tell Sam. Whatever this is isn't going anywhere. And maybe Grandpa will come with us. He's probably got a gun in case. I don't know. Sam looks at her knife, knows it wouldn't be enough. The beast sounds like it weighs 300 pounds. She says, but Grandpa said to stay away from here. What if he won't let us come back? We won't ask. We'll come back on our own this afternoon. You promise? Yes. Now we have to hurry. If we're late, he's not going to let us out of his sight. Now come on. I have no idea if we're actually headed in the right direction, but I just run away from the fence. I help Sam over a huge fallen tree. There's a clearing about 50 yards ahead. It's the yard. My watch says we're already a minute late. I tell Sam just to head straight for the bathroom to wash up. The floorboards announce our arrival with a loud creak. 
Grandma Barb's in the kitchen. She's scooping strips of bacon out of a skillet and placing them on a paper towel to soak up the grease. Where is it? Sam whispers. I step towards her. Another creak. Grandma's still scooping bacon. I point at an open door where there's an old-fashioned toilet with a long chain above it. Sam runs in and slams the door behind her. Your watch broken? A voice says. I spin and see Grandpa standing behind me. I say, I'm sorry, there was a neighbor boy. And he broke your watch? No. No what? No, sir. Well, go get washed up. There's another bathroom upstairs. Grandpa Joe doesn't move, so I have to squeeze around him to get to the stairs, which creak even more than the floor. It's like the whole house is one giant alarm system, announcing exactly where everyone is, except Grandpa, who just snuck up on me. Now he's heading for the kitchen without a sound. I find the bathroom upstairs and close the door. Grandma has laid out a fresh towel and a slimy bar of soap. I turn on the faucet. Brown water finally turns clear and I scrub. The fence, the boy, and the beast fill my head. Maybe that was what killed my brother. I picture Tim pinned under the monster, trying to fight as it tears through his face. I don't even realize I'm crying, but I'm suddenly on the floor, my wet hands covering my face. I press my eyes to make it go away. David? Samantha? Grandma's voice calls up. Breakfast is ready. I steady my voice. Be down in a minute. I get to my feet and wipe my eyes. Sam is already devouring the bacon when I get to the kitchen. Grandpa and Grandma are waiting on me. I sit and say, sorry, before picking up a piece of bacon. It's crispy, just how I like it. Little bubbles of grease cling to it, and I picture Tim's flesh. I set it back on the plate. Grandpa says you met Charlie. Sam looks to me, clearly pissed I said anything. Yeah, I say. He's a strange one, Grandma says. She forks into her eggs. The yolk oozes out and steams across her plate. He and his daddy live up the road. Grandpa Joe isn't eating, just staring at me with cold eyes. Well, he seems nice. I take a bite of eggs to keep from having to say anything else. Nice? Grandma laughs. I've never thought to use that word about Charlie. For a few seconds, there's nothing but the sound of chewing and the occasional slurp of orange juice. Finally, Sam says through a, through a mouthful, Charlie says he knew Tim. Grandpa forces a swallow. Did he now? His gaze is on Sam, and I don't like it. We went to the fence, I say. This definitely gets Grandpa's focus off Sam, but I regret it immediately. Sam's staring at me now, too, even more pissed. I thought I told you to stay away from that. I'm sorry, we didn't know where we were going. It just came up on us. When I tell you two to stay away from something, I expect to be obeyed. What's on the other side? Sam asks. Don't matter what's over there, Grandpa says. There's no place for kids. That's all you need to know. There was something, Sam says. It sounded big, too. Is that what killed Tim? Grandpa slams his fist on the table. Enough! There's an awkward silence. Grandma clears her throat. I'm sure you two want to see your rooms. Uh, why don't I give you a tour? They're not finished eating. Grandpa's eyes are telling us that we've been thinking of moving. There'll be hell to pay. So we just sit and eat until our plates are empty. We carry them to the sink, and I offer to wash. Grandma says they can wait until later. She sh shows us to our room upstairs. Grandpa must have brought our bags up. My room is at the end of the skinny hallway. Sam's room is right next to it. Grandma tells Sam she could take a nap if she wants. Sam says that sounds good. 
but I know she just wants to shut the door and be left alone. There's a little school desk in the corner of my room, an open closet door, and peeling wallpaper. The mattress is lumpy. Some of its coils are exposed. It's like a bunch of whack-a-moles trying to escape. I wonder if this is where Tim slept. The one tiny window is mostly covered with soapy scum. But through a sliver of clean glass, I can see out above the trees and the rolling hills. They seem to go on forever. I know we'll get lost or eaten alive if we try to escape. But all I want right now is to run, to be back home in bed. I'll even be grateful for the bullying at school, the taunting and name calling, even the wedgies from Robbie Lamb. I'll take every bit of his crap over this. Grandma's hand is suddenly on my shoulder. She points to the bed, clearly wants me to sit with her. Reluctantly, I do, but I keep my distance. I know this is hard. It is, it is on all of us. Your grandpa, he has trouble expressing himself. He just doesn't want you to get hurt. He loves you very much, and he loved your mother. Grandma's voice quivers. I realize she misses my mother, too, her baby girl. For the first time, she seems human. But you can't go by that fence. Do you hear? What's back there? It's a bear, but there's something wrong with it. What do you mean? We don't know, but it lost its parents just like you. I wanted Grandpa to shoot it, but he couldn't. I think he feels bad for it, but he put up that fence for a reason, and that's to keep us all safe. She touches my chin. So you promise you'll stay away? I nod, and Grandma struggles to stand. I help her. She looks tired. Grandma? I call out before she leaves. Is that what killed Tim? Oh, no, sweetie. It's just a scared creature. Poor thing's confused and hurting. It wasn't even here before Tim. But Charlie said, You do wise never to listen to a word out of that child's mouth. The sooner you accept that, the better. Then what killed him? Grandma's face twists up and then softens into a smile. Best not to dwell on the awful things in life. You've had a long trip, but you're safe now. I promise you that. Grandma leaves, and I suddenly feel less safe than I ever have in my life, even less than when we were trapped in the van underwater. David! A muffled voice calls up from outside. I move to the window and see Grandpa down on the lawn. He's holding an axe. Get down here! There's no point in pretending I'm asleep. I pass Sam's room. It sounds like she's carving into something. I don't even open her door. I don't want to know. Grandpa drives the axe through a small log on a stump. The wood splits and he tosses the two halves into a pile. Add those to the stack against the house. I pick up a few and carry them over to the huge wall of firewood. It's 80 degrees out here and he's stockpiling like we're coming up on another ice age. After the fourth trip, I say, School should be pretty exciting this year. The track team's looking real good. Grandpa chucks another log. Your mom said you quit the team. He chucks the two halves, grabs another log. I never thought mom talked to grandpa about me. After Tim, I only heard her on the phone with him a couple of times. Well, that was last year, I say. I'm going back. I already spoke to coach. Uh-huh. Another chop. I don't know why I said it. I guess I figured I'd laid the groundwork for us leaving, but now I'm a liar. I pick up more firewood and feel his stare burning into me. After another 40 minutes, my arms feel like they're going to fall off, but Grandpa says that's good enough for today. By the towering supply, I think we're good enough for the decade, but I don't say it. Sam and Grandma have made sandwiches and lemonade for us. It hurts just to lift the glass in my mouth. Did you get enough cut? Grandma asks. We're fine. You're sure? Yes. Grandpa pulls off a piece of the sandwich, shoves it in his mouth. Grandma looks concerned. 
She starts to say something, but Grandpa says, We're fine. Sam takes a sip of lemonade. And I get to help build the fire, right? Grandpa cocks his head. Grandma says, It'll be good for her to learn. At first, I was surprised Sam had helped me with lunch. But now I realize Grandma bribed her by promising she could help build tonight's fire. They start one giant blaze in the living room and two more upstairs. The house feels like an oven, and the sun has just barely started to set. Soon, Sam's falling asleep on the couch while Grandpa and Grandma stare into the flames crackling in the huge stone fireplace. I could fit my bed in there, and the way they're gazing into it, I wonder if that's how I'm going to wake up. Why don't you take your sister to her room, Grandma says, without taking her eyes off of the fire. It's way earlier than we usually go to bed, but I'm fine with getting away from these two. I stand and nudge Sam. Come on, time for bed. Sam grunts, so I nudge her again. She smacks my hand and finally stands. She heads towards the stairs, and I'm about to follow, but a hand clamps my shoulder and squeezes, which sears through my sore muscles. Grandpa spins me and bends down to my face. I can feel his hot, salty breath. Those, <clears throat> those windows stay closed at night. Yeah, okay. I don't need more lies from you. You keep them shut tight, you hear? Yes, sir. He finally lets me go, and I climb the stairs. Sam's door is open, and she's standing there rubbing her eyes. You okay? I ask. Will you stay in my room? What? Please, I don't want to be alone. Truth is, I don't either, so we both get on her bed. Sam's under the covers, but I'm sweating like I've just run a marathon. I can hardly breathe. Grandpa's warning to keep the windows shut repeats in my head, so I just lie here and close my eyes. I try counting sheep, but they keep bursting into flames. Suddenly, I'm underwater. Mom's face peers out through where the windshield used to be in the minivan. Air bubbles rush out of her mouth as she screams for me to protect my sister. I hear Sam's voice. She's scared, but it's not underwater. It's clear, like she's right next to me. I open my eyes. Sam is whimpering. It's now freezing. A cold burst of air carves through me. I realize I was having a dream. But this is real. The window is open. Sam must have gotten up when I was asleep. She grabs my arm and whispers loudly, David. And I see it, sitting on Sam's legs, staring at us. It's some kind of creature, but it doesn't look like anything I've ever seen. Part cockroach, part scorpion. It's at least a foot long. It's four stubby legs pressing down on the sides of Sam's knees, covered under the blanket. Its tail raises and rattles, the nasty point glistening in the moonlight. Please, Sam says, shh, don't move. Sam's knife is on the table. Slowly, I move my hands towards it, but it's just out of reach. The creature rears up on its hind legs, its back flaring like a cobra, tiny black fangs like oily needles. I feel Sam about to bolt. I have to do something. All right, what do we do? Kick the creature off the bed? Go for the knife and stab it? Roll over and shield Sam from the attack. You decide, and I will talk to you next week. Later. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.